0: Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are things today? Things are great. We got a great guest. Let's just dig right in, man. We do. We're not going to waste any time. All we've right. got we've got one of our favorites, Matt Waldman. Uh, he's uh, of course, I guess, most well known for the rookie scouting portfolio. Which uh, what we're we're almost a couple weeks into it now. It's it's a a relief for you, I'm sure, Waldman. You glad to have that uh, in the rear view for another year?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, Evan. It's always a joy to get on this show with you guys and, and talk fantasy and, and talk about these um, players in the draft.
0: So I, as, I was, as I was looking through it, I told you before the show, one of my goals was to read every word of the RSP before you joined us. It's well over a thousand pages. So I, I didn't reach that goal, unfortunately, but I've soaked <laughs> a lot of it in. And one thing that I really like that you do, and, and I think that you've done this at least for the past couple of years, is compare the current class to the past couple of classes. Uh, lots of information we can soak in and, and good perspective because we look at these players after a year after two years and we kind of forgot what we thought about them as when they were coming out as rookies so as you were kind of reflecting especially on last year's work what's maybe one evaluation from last season from 2018 that you might like to have back that you're second guessing yourself on a little bit
1: sure and you know it's funny because it's certainly I like to I just did a podcast about this about players that I've learned lessons from over the past 10 years and one of the things that I mentioned in that podcast is that I usually like to wait three or four years before I like make an official call on on it. But with that in mind still early on, I'd say Mike Jacecki is a player who, I, when I watched the tape, I wasn't that high on him um, in terms of, I didn't think he ran with great balance. I thought that there are a couple things that, that might impact his route running as well and his ability to separate. Um, but then looking at the metrics that, that were out there, You know he fit just enough in a couple of categories that were a little bit higher than what i thought i saw on tape in terms of combining the techniques with the metrics and i think in sometimes one of the difficulties with evaluation is when you're in a situation where you look at the metrics and they don't match what you see on tape and do you go with the metrics or do you go with the tape and i was a little more i usually go with the tape but i was a little bit more optimistic with the metrics and I think that if I had changed the evaluation, while it would have been a tough eval to do, I think him being in the bottom half of the top ten was better than being in the in um, the you know number two overall on my board.
0: Yeah, a lot of people are certainly uh, disappointed with his rookie season performance, I don't know. The tight ends are still still really tough just in general to figure. I mean, I, I believe you've said that, or at least somebody I, I, I trust has said that, that tight ends are the, the toughest position to scout when you're looking at these four uh, fantasy-relevant positions. Was that you?
1: Probably not, but it's close. It's okay. definitely underrated. I think it's a t- one of the tougher transitions for sure. Quarterbacks, the white whale, but I would definitely say that tight end is is tougher than it seems.
2: And Matt, this, this start, you know, the, how you started your conversation, you got to give yourself at least two or three years on Gossacki too. I mean, it wasn't the greatest yeah. situation. You know, new new change now. Who knows.
1: Exactly, but if I had to if I had to pick one, that one stands out. <laughs> this is one that I go, okay. Let me wait and see how this goes because I just was I was just a little worried about his balance overall and his footing and how he handled he handled contact. So we'll see. Maybe he'll he'll blossom. That'll be nice.
0: Ooh, I hope so. I hope so. I've still got some hope uh, for him. Matt, as as we always do when we have you on, we're going to look through the RSP and talk about some of these players that your rankings differ a little bit maybe uh, from the consensus. We had Kyle Krabs on last week and did something similar. Uh, Of course, he's coming a little bit more from strictly an NFL draft or or NFL-only perspective. You, of course, mix in the fantasy, which we love. Um, So let's, let's start with the quarterback position. A couple of guys we want to talk about. But first, just, just kind of share your thoughts about the quarterback position as a whole from a dynasty perspective. Of course, we've all heard negative things for the most part. Uh, do you agree with those, or do you see some guys uh, that, that we should have hope in?
1: Um, I think there's some guys that we could have hope in if you, I guess you're in a um, super flex league, and <laughs> <No>, there's more <laughs> than that, um, but I, I think there's... Three to four guys that we can look at that are that could probably offer some starter potential there. Are they guys that you're gonna pick early for a dynasty draft? Maybe one of them, Kyler Murray, is probably that guy that might have the most upside. I'm a Will Greer fan. I definitely believe that he might have enough upside to surprise and be maybe a steady quarterback one. In terms of if you're in a 12 team league or a 14 team format, I think that he's a guy that might be able to be in that lower end from eight to 14 on a consistent basis, um, you know, with the right fit with the team. But the thing is, is it is a difficult position in terms of evaluating how they're going to improve from year to year and make the types of decisions that they need to make and whether that's consistent, um, you know, in terms of how they perform within a scheme. So I would say on the whole, though, this isn't the year you're probably wanting to draft a quarterback early. You know, Murray might be that guy you would take a chance on for the hope of the upside with not only his legs, but that big play arm. Um, but I think there's three to four other guys that if you can get them maybe in the late second, third round, you know, that might not be bad. And then if, you, if you're if you in deeper drafts, certainly you can take chances on on some of these guys maybe later. If, you're, if you feel like that it's, um you know, you have enough taxi squad spots, I think, to be able to store them and wait and see.
0: You mentioned Will Greer. He's actually your quarterback one and one of the players we wanted to ask you about. Uh, it just seems like Kyler Murray as the quarterback one has become the default. So uh, I love seeing something a little bit different, at least. Give us your thoughts on Greer and what it is uh, with him that separated himself to be your top-ranked player.
1: Well, you know, this year I started doing more... um accuracy charting in in a far more um detailed way and and made those um a bigger part of informing my grades for accuracy and he was right up there with Murray and Haskins as as you know three of the top guys in terms of accuracy at a variety of ranges of the field and I thought he was one of the more accurate um vertical and deep area um quarterbacks in terms of those ranges which was somewhere around about 28 to um, you know, 40 plus yards you know, in those two ranges that I scored. And I just, you know, while I think that sometimes he gets too aggressive and he'll presume a little too much as a Mark Schofield detailed in a, in a wonderful article that he did in the RSP site yesterday, um, he can have some issues with trying to be a little too aggressive at times. I like the aggressiveness overall. I like how he integrates the physical and technical parts of his game. And I think that his ability to I think he made his receivers better like I think there was talk earlier in the year that Gary Jennings Jr and especially um David Sills were like really strong prospects and I actually think that he made them better look look them he made them look a lot better than I think they really are from the perspective of an um NFL prospects so when I see his game it's he doesn't have the mega arm but he has the ability to attack quickly to throw the ball pinpoint in the deep ranges as well as to be able to create when he has to create on the move or off platform and find solutions to problems and do it with a level of um, immediacy without a lot of hesitation to his game. And I think that when you play with that type of confidence and lack hesitation and don't overthink things, you may make mistakes. But but in the NFL, you have to have that ability that as soon as you see that open – area that that good leverage against the defender you gotta let that ball go and i think that there are a lot of guys who are oftentimes top prospects that we think about in in those ways who we talk about how good they are on the whiteboard and how how they how good they are intellectually in the game but they they wait one to two beats too long and that's where they end up being inaccurate or making plays in the game that are pivotal and against their team as opposed to in favor of their team.
2: Matt, knowing what you know now about last year's first-round quarterbacks, five guys, would you take Greer fifth of those, sixth of those, first? I mean, where would he be compared to them, knowing everything you know now?
1: Knowing everything that I know now, probably re-ranking, I'd probably have Baker Mayfield a little bit higher mm-hmm. um, so than what I had him in. So I would say that he would probably be – You know, without looking back at at what I had ranked, I think probably he'd be in the bottom half of the top six. So Mm -hmm. somewhere between three and six on my board, because I have a pretty good score for Greer at this point. Um, But look, knowing what we know, I think he's probably in that bottom half of the top. So
2: he's not a by default number one quarterback. I mean, several years you've been doing this, maybe he would have been your number one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: Matt, another guy I wanted to ask you about is Drew Locke. It, it seems like for most people, whether you're talking strictly NFL draft or uh, fantasy purposes, he seems to have put himself in that in that QB3 range. Some of the mocks actually have him uh, leapfrogging Dwayne Haskins now. Maybe he goes in the top ten. Regardless, for you, he's the quarterback six. Not a huge disparity, but in, in this class, quarterback two to quarterback six is, is – seems like a pretty big difference what concerns do you have with drew lock
1: i think the biggest concerns i have with him have to do with just consistency of play and it comes down to you know there's a gap between him and i would say what is like he's like in my third tier of quarterbacks and, and i if i were to have three tiers out of the top six players and so when you look at his game I kind of call it a light switch game as opposed to a thermostat game. And and the reason that is, is that he has a great arm. He can throw off platform. He, and when he's playing against sec defenses, especially early in games, when he's getting protection early on, um, you see him play with good, quick tempo where his feet are precise, where he's getting set in the right position, where it seems like he's in sync with the development of his routes and he's throwing the ball on platform and throwing it accurately. But I think what happens is that when he's not playing top teams or when top teams start to infiltrate the pocket and break down his protection, he leans more on off-balance throws. He leans on, you know, especially against teams that are not top caliber, he tends to slowly walk his way back into position to throw. He's more apt to make the off-platform throw and, and do things where... It's just not consistent enough for him. And it's kind of like that person who, you know, the kid that you teach in class, who's like really, really smart, doesn't do his homework, hasn't prepared the material. And there's layers of information that he has to learn. And then it's time for a test where they have to integrate all of these skills together that they've been learning for the past, you know, six weeks. And they can't do it, even though they even though if you ask them individually, as you were teaching them the material on that first day they could probably be writing a love note to the to the kid next, you know, you know, passing it down and you try and call them on it and make him an example of it and they'll probably retain the information you told them because they were even they can retain it just half listening. <laughs> but then when they have to actually practice the information and put it all together and the situation's stressful, it falls apart more often than it should. And I think Drew Locke isn't a lazy guy. I think that Drew Locke is just that guy that probably has gotten away with being able to do things You know, the way that Tom Brady could never get away with doing. And so as a result, coaches are like, we're winning. You have a good, you know, you're producing for us. We'll tell you that you need to learn this stuff. But, you know, you got to work on that yourself. And I just don't think it was something that he ever really felt like he had to work on. And or if he did. And started to realize that he's been doing it a little bit too late. And I think that he's, you know, in the NFL, he's going to have to work on this stuff every day and get it ingrained. And I think that it might be a little too late. It's kind of like, you know, kind of looking at Jay Cutler and you look at Jeff George. And I think those are the kind of guys that he kind of reminds me of stylistically.
2: Matt, I assume you agree with me. I mean, that you see that with a lot of quarterbacks the kind of had it easier than others growing up. You know what I mean? You see it with defensive linemen all the time that are just the biggest, best athlete on the field that they don't have to learn the fundamentals and the footwork and the hand placement. And I look at Locke and think, man, if he happens to land in Miami, I mean, it'll be worse than Rosen last year in Arizona.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And it's kind of funny you mentioned Miami because the you know when you mentioned that, I was that way as a musician, as a young musician, like in when it came to how I performed. So then when I ended up going to Miami, which was a really good school for that type of a type of thing I wanted to study, I found out how woefully underprepared I actually was (laughs) and all those years that if I had actually um, put in the kind of work that I could have put in, that it would have made a bigger difference. And I think that that's the kind of thing is that quarterback is a layers of information position. And it's one that you constantly have to hone to keep up with that technique so that you're, as you're adding more knowledge and concepts into your library, that you don't have to think about all these other techniques that you're that you're trying to deal with. And I agree. I think that if he has to deal with bad um, you know, with an offensive line that's not working out well, or he doesn't have receiving core that's really on on point and communicating with him well, this could be a really difficult situation for him because he's gonna make some reckless plays. He's gonna make some plays that he's gonna realize that. Yeah, it, it worked for me some of the time against Alabama, but Alabama is is not going to beat any NFL team, no matter how often we hear occasionally that that might happen.
0: Matt, another quarterback kind of in a similar situation to Locke. Uh, entered, I would say entered the offseason as maybe a second or third rounder and now seems to be locked into that first round. Is Daniel Jones, uh, quarterback from Duke. I've certainly got some questions uh, about him, so I kind of like to see this. Uh, this lower ranking from you, but again, in this class, Jones comes in at quarterback 13 and, and that certainly raises some eyebrows.
1: Yeah, I know it does. And it's, and it's interesting because I just didn't see it with him. You know, you watch his game and the biggest thing is, is how does a player integrate those skills and how well do they do when it comes to actually, um, you know, integrating that technical ability, that um, conceptual ability, and then just being able to adjust on the fly and you see this guy, he's very tough He's got the size you're looking for. He's got the arm strength you're looking for. And when you watch him drop into position and I guess execute a variety of drops and work with his routes, his feet lag behind what he's observing mentally. Um, I think the communications he has with the receivers are repeatedly off. And I don't know. I don't know if all of them those are his fault or his receiver's fault, but it happens so often that ultimately you have to judge the quarterback on that because he's the leader on the field. He has to get that to stop somehow, and so if when it happens as much as it does, that's an issue has a lot of batted passes at the line, which you know you think Kyler Murray most people fans would think Kyler Murray, but he had one, and in the sample that I had with Jones, I think he had double digits in terms of you know getting knocked down. On top of that, the accuracy was just off in just about every category that was, you know, in the longer ranges of the field. It was, he was always just a little bit off in terms of the um, getting to what you would call the expected tiers of accuracy based on next-gen stats, you know, where they looked at over 30, I think over 130,000 passes or something to that. It's like a pretty decent sample size of passes that they looked at. And and so I was using the percentages that they say were expected accuracy for the ranges of the field and types of throws, and he just didn't hit those types of things. And what's interesting about him is I think the problem is is why the NFL – sees him and the nfl media sees him a certain way and maybe why i'm an outlier is that the nfl i think the nfl still takes a little bit of an old school approach to quarterbacks which is you know again the bulleted points of good academic program or big pro you know big school program but he's got it's a good academic program so there's a little plus there to the intellectual component there's the arm strength the toughness the size and he's been his head coach is a known quarterback developer. And here's two things about that that I think are important and why I bring that up is that because David Cutcliffe, obviously, he helped develop the Mannings in terms of being, a they were his pupils. But I think if you talk to any quarterback coach who has coached on on that kind of level, they will tell you. While it's nice that we can market that we have these kinds of students, these students were the ones that made the difference. It wasn't me that suddenly gave Peyton Manning what Peyton Manning had or gave Eli Manning what Eli Manning had. I just gave them information, and they made the most out of it.
2: Peyton might have been successful elsewhere. Right. You know, (laughs) I've been... (laughs) I've been,
1: I've, I've taken music lessons from Grammy, Grammy Award winning musicians. I'm here talking about football with you guys. So, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a bit of that that goes on with this. And I think that the, I think the other thing too is that I've been told, and I don't know how reliable this is, but it's a source and I can't, you know, really name that. But I will, and I don't do that too often. But I've been told that the NFL has kind of drank the Kool Aid in terms of, um, Daniel Jones being a Cutcliffe coached quarterback as a finished product. And what I'm hearing is that while that's been said by some people within the Duke program, um, and my, my wife's a North Carolina alum, so you might want to say that I'm kind of bashing them, but you know, but but I have no affiliation to either, really. But um the the note seriously that while that's been kind of promoted and I think it's been promoted as a way of being able to recruit more talent more than anything else. The the I think the real inside story here that I'm hearing is that Cutcliffe didn't really do a lot of coaching of him and he's not a finished Cutcliffe product in the way that the NFL thinks. And and even if that's even if that's wrong, even if Cutcliffe has spent every day working with him the way that that people imagined it to be he hasn't learned the lessons all that well. If if that happened, which would be even more of a um, you know indictment against his game. So uh, you know, either way you put it, I, I just don't think he's test. ready. I'm still not feeling him. Yeah, I
2: mean, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter how well you're prepared. If you know, you're sitting there watching him and going, but you're still failing the test on game day.
1: Yeah, exactly. The teacher's great, but good for <laughs> right. you. But you know, you you, you know, just because you just because you go to Duke doesn't mean that you're smart. You know, I mean, you may think that, but. You know, you still got to get the grades, you know, doesn't, you're not going to automatically, uh, you know, you're not automatically going to get a degree just because you went to a good school.
2: Yeah. Folks, I want to tell you a little bit about Reality Sports Online, the the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team just like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it yet? It's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is all about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. You think, you think it sounds complicated? It really isn't. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. So if you think you're among the fantasy elite, which I assume you are if you're listening to this, well this is the platform to test your metal. So you're still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. If you don't like what you, if you do like what you see, use the promo code blueprint, all lowercase, and you receive 10% off a discount on your team or league today. That's blueprint. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Matt, let's move over
0: to the running back position. You've got three guys in your top seven that that really grab my attention, probably grab the attention of of all your readers because I don't think any of these players are, are probably in the top twenty of uh, of most dynasty players uh, when they look at their running back rankings as they prepare for upcoming rookie drafts. So I'm I'm just going to lump all these guys together and, and kind of let you riff on them a little bit. You've got Alexander Madison at RB five, the Boise State running back. Bruce Anderson at RB six and Darwin Thompson at RB seven. Of course, Darwin Thompson probably known more for his pass catching ability than his running. Uh, a lot to like with all three of those guys, but uh, again, the the ranking, uh, the ranking gets our attention. Tells about these. <laughs> yeah, right. So,
1: so there you go. I mean, but you know, it's it's funny. I mean, it, it it is what it is. I watch what I watch, and sometimes I'm right about those. Sometimes I'm not. But. uh, but the, but the fact of the matter is, is I've, I've usually done pretty well with running backs in the past. So um, when it comes to Alexander Madison and Bruce Anderson and Darwin Thompson, they all catch the ball really well. I mean, you brought up Thompson for sure, but Anderson is a guy who is, you watched him at the Senior Bowl for the first day and probably five minutes before he got hurt um, and had to pull himself out. He just dominated one-on-one. He was hard to cover, and he's someone that – Really understands how to run some of these underneath routes and get wide open. He has the quickness you're looking for. He's a reliable hands catcher. But he also adjusts well to the ball in the air on intermediate and deep routes. And he was often used in that capacity on bullet routes and corner routes as well as wheel routes at North Dakota State. On top of that, he's really good at he's good at running between the tackles. He's someone who's solidly built. He's someone who can you can handle contact and get extra yards. I think he has good vision to run a variety of different types of blocking schemes and he, and he protects the ball extremely well. Um, so I think he's a good all around player that could develop into at least a lead back um, in the NFL in a, in a committee situation. And then Alexander Madison. I mean, it's interesting because I think from the dynasty perspective, oftentimes we have kind of two camps in the fantasy community and they usually intersect. Okay. But, but I think that what we hear oftentimes from more of a from a media standpoint of that is that it's the analytics crowd and the film crowd when really it's kind of more there's a blend between the two but um the analytics crowd on the extreme end is kind of like Alexander Madison isn't an athlete, he's not a good athlete, he's not gonna be a good player because he didn't score well in terms of you know the metrics that they are looking for in when they put those things together. And I think there's more in the film community who look at him and say, you know, he's actually a good back. He He's a polished back in terms of how he looks at the, um, you know, how he reads de- um, defenses and executes blocking schemes. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's got the size you're looking for, pretty good strength. You know, and, and from what I see, when I look at everything together and I look at the metrics and I look at his game, I think he's a player who is... You know, I like Jamal Williams coming out of um, BYU. I probably overrated his athletic ability just a bit in about two areas that was, you know, the slim is difference between say he and Aaron Jones when I had those guys rated, but I had Williams a little bit higher and it was because I thought Williams might improve a little bit more. And I think one of the things that I've learned is that if a player looks, like they've got the they've got the weight and the muscle and they've been working out hard and they and you hear that about that player, they're probably not going to make that many more gains once they get into the league. Like they've already probably maxed out that frame, they're probably not going to gain any more in terms of that explosion in terms of explosion. And I think I overprojected that that he would get there in that way. I think Alexander Madison though is a player who's already he's earned the tears that Jamal Williams didn't earn you know in terms of what I was projecting for so I think he's more of a player that I envision Jamal Williams to end up becoming and and he's going to be that way more right now I think he's an underrated back in this class and to be honest after he ran that 45240 in his pro day even if he was you know, even if it was a little bit better, even if it wasn't as good as that, you know, maybe there was a little home cooking there, even if there wasn't that home cooking, it was just a moderately better, I think he might've moved up even more like a notch, maybe even two on my board, um, just based on that long speed, because it's a pretty tightly ranked board at the top. So uh, I think all three players, Thompson, if he can be in a spread offense, could be a really impact type of guy, you know, along the lines of a Chris Thompson Deion Lewis, Darren Sproles type of player, depending on how they use him, Really strong player. I mean, like, this is a guy who could have been an Olympic power lifter. And when you watch him on tape, you see him pushing defensive tackles. You see him getting yards through contact against much larger players because he's, you know, he's short. He's, it's like the description for Tarek Cohen, but even, I would say, even more magnified. It's not that he's small, he's short. And I think that Darwin Thompson fits that at 5'8", 200. Um, and he's a guy who breaks a lot of tackles. And because you're going to use him in space, he's probably not going to have to try and push outside linebackers in 3-4 defense. He's not probably going to have to push you know, defensive ends and defensive tackles. He's going to be able to break through wraps of players at that second and third level who who he's going to be able to do that against, and sometimes repeatedly in the same play. So I, I really like what he has to offer. I've told that he, I'm told he's a great worker. There's a gentleman by the name of Dub Maddox who, who's you know on the on the football scene as a coach of a school called Jenks High School, who does all this work called R4 under the R4 um, guys, and it's a and he's a, like a nationally known speaker in football coaching clinics about offense. He coached Darwin Thompson in high school and got a chance to talk to him, and he said. He said this guy's going to be probably a gold nugget for for a lot of teams. And, of course, you know, that's his guy. But, you know, from what I've seen on film, um, I tend to agree.
2: One note you made there I just wanted to reiterate because I've seen it at both levels that a lot of people – you kind of mentioned it with Jamal Williams that, oh, when he gets to the NFL, he'll get an NFL weight program and he'll get better – well, that's kind of a misconception sometimes, because, yeah. I mean, like, I got started at, at Duquesne. And if you go from Duquesne to the Packers, yeah, you're probably going to take a jump. But the reality is, if you're a kid in college and you don't want to work hard in conditioning in the weight room, you're in trouble. If you don't want to work hard in an NFL weight room, you're probably going to get away with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Because the NFL, you're on your own. You know, in mm-hmm. the college game, as you know, I mean, I'm remember asking Chad Spann about that, a cor- uh, running back who had a cup of coffee with a number of NFL teams and played at NIU. And he was like, listen, at NIU, he was like, I'm he goes, I'm I was monitored when when I got up. When I yeah. went to class, what workouts I went to, you know, who you if ran I went the to steps the tutor if you didn't do it right. Ex- you know, exactly, right. every pit of the day was monitored. And then the NFL, it's like you're an adult. You just got to get the job done. You don't get the job done, you're not going to be here because you're not going to be able to compete most of the time unless you're just a, you know, a Randy Moss freakish type of player in terms of athletic ability, or a Bo Jackson type of player. And even then, those guys worked, you know. But I mean, sure. it's like. But at the at the same time, yeah, it's one of those things where once once you're in the NFL, you have to have your own work habits and know how to work smart, work hard and and train yourself and, and find the right people to help you advance your game. And yeah, Jamal Williams, I'm I know he worked hard and I knew all those things, but I think he was pretty maxed out. And that's the thing that I learned is that when I'm between two tiers and that can be the difference between, you know, somewhere between one to three points on their final grade. And when you're that high up on the board, it's usually pretty tightly packed. He was a guy that probably got one to three points more than maybe he should have earned um, as a result of that. And that was the difference between him being a guy that I thought was just below that top five tier starters, you know, and the guys who you go and go, maybe they'll be able to be a decent committee back for you, which is what I think he is. Mm-hmm.
0: Matt, I think we've talked about this maybe when you've been with us before, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it again. And I think it fits with this running back discussion. You've got guys like Madison and Anderson and Thompson who you clearly like. Based on everything we know, they're probably going to be day three NFL draft picks. So taking that RSP hat off and and think about your dynasty leagues, how do you decide when is the time to – uh, to take these guys, you're you're not going to take them in the first round if they don't have draft capital and and maybe many other dynasty players in in your league. Maybe they don't like them as much as you do, or, or almost certainly don't. So how do you weigh uh, all of those factors together and, and decide in your dynasty league when do you pull the trigger? Absolutely, pretty,
2: pretty tough for you to keep secrets, though, too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've pretty much given up all my draft picks, and yeah. in the league, the league we were in that we we're in, because I might as well. I was just kind of trying a different way of doing it, but <laughs> finally, I actually have draft picks. Um, but but I think part of it for me is, yeah, draft capital is certainly you know there's what I do in drafts that happen before the NFL draft and after the NFL draft, and if we're focusing on before, real quick, I would just say I look at players who I realistically think. You know, looking at mock, mock drafts and see where these players are being touted by other people. I use that as an indicator. I also think about um, what are the knocks that people usually have said about them. I start looking at other people's work at this point, see what other people have to say about them and how common that's a, you know, how common of a perception that is. So if it's a, if it's a major thing or a certain issue that I know that people tend to um, give bias to or more weight to, like speed or acceleration or strength and size, then then yeah, I can lower that guy more and more and more on my board because I know he's probably not gonna get picked up by the, the everyday dynasty league. Um after the draft, it's really is about fit. It's about fit and then also early ADP. And I look I try to, you know, that's what I do with the RSP post draft is create a board where I can kind of find what the average draft position is, what the fit is with that player and where I would rank them and try and find the sweet spot between the two to say, you know, I like Nick Chubb a lot last year. So I know that he's not going to be the first back taken overall. He may not even be the fourth, you know, third or fourth back taken overall in a rookie draft. So if he's going to be fifth or sixth on that board, or maybe even seventh or eighth, especially now he went to the Browns and everybody was talking about Carlos Bryden, and Hyde and Duke Johnson, then I can start to say, you know what, there's there's a good twenty-five picks between where he's his average draft position is and where I have him rated. So somewhere between that range is where I would look for him and I would just kind of split the difference a little bit within about seven to eight picks so that I have kind of a nice little room there to op wiggle room to operate in and say I'm not gonna to wait too long and get too cute, but I'm not gonna pick him to the point where people are going, What are you doing? And you, and you might say as a dynasty, you know, you see younger dynasty owners in terms of less experience go, you know, after three or four years, see, I made the right call on picking that guy. And I'm like, yeah, on that guy you did, but you could have waited another two rounds and you could have gotten two more players who were actually really good and maximized what you did. And that's, that's where I, I try to navigate that space so that you can get at least one or two picks like that in that situation.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. One running back that you're maybe not as high on as others is Daryl Henderson. He's your RB12, uh, kind of in that fringe, maybe, maybe a top five running back for, uh, for many or, or somewhere in that range. You're a little bit lower on him. Why
2: is that? Matt, before you answer, if you don't mind, a couple yeah. people told me that they thought Henderson benefited from blocking more than any back in this class, including the Bama guys.
1: Interesting. That's an interesting thought. I'll I'll, I'll add some context to my ranking to start off with. And one is that the the, the score that he has puts him at a contributor level starter right now. And when you look at my rankings for running back, running back is, especially running back and wide receiver, they're, they're positions that kind of have multiple roles now on a field. And so... When I'm trying to do this is why I think rankings suck because when you have to (laughs) do when you have to do rankings, you you kind of have to go. How do I score this? Because I'm scoring one size fits all, and it's not really fair to the player if depending on what it is you're doing. So I have a, you know, when I'm scoring this depth of talent grade for just this set of rankings, it's kind of a what I'm scoring them against the traditional feature back mode mold. You know, I'm I'm like, is he. You know, how Marshawn Lynch and how Adrian Peterson is he? You know, how how Saquon Barkley is he? How Nick Chubb is he? He's not very much either any of those guys. But if you if you put him in an offense where you spread the field, where you put him in space, and you maybe say, How Alvin Kamara can he be? Then you're looking at him and you're going, you know what? He's the number one back on my board when it comes to that. And so when I did, you know, when when you go through the RB chapter, you'll see I believe he's one of my top, I think he's number one, I haven't looked yet lately, but it's either one, or one of the top three backs on my board for those space players, for the players who are doing that kind of work. And that's where I kind of took a little bit, I didn't put as much on vision, didn't put as much on power, put a little bit more on elusiveness, a little bit more on um, receiving skill. And what you get with Daryl Henderson is a player who, I think that if he has the right fit could be the best running back in this class. And I think the uh, it's most likely the team that recognizes what he can do. will try to put him there. So he will be higher probably in the post draft than he is in the pre draft because of that. Um, But I think that he's very good at being able to run through wraps that are high to his frame. I think that once he gets into that second level, he's tough to bring down because he accelerates to top speed so quickly. And And because of that, he's kind of low to the ground. He's, he is tough to bring down. It's like Tevin Coleman. If you get Tevin Coleman into, in the space and he's at top speed, he looks a lot more powerful than he is. He doesn't have great pad level, but he's gotten a little bit better at it. Um, but Daryl Henderson's more, Daryl Henderson's more of a guy that once he gets the top speed and because he's low to the ground and he doesn't run so upright, I think that he is a tough tackle in terms of reaches and wraps, um, even though he might not be a guy that you look at and say he's gonna you're gonna hand it to him on third and one in a in a totally stuffed pox, you know, and play Stanford football with him. I don't know if he's gonna be that guy down and down out you want doing that. But in terms of archetypes, he's kind of a and that's one of the other things I look at different archetypes of backs and I'm trying to work more and more in that space. He kind of fits more of what Dalvin Cook is as a back or what even Reggie Bush was as a back, a guy who can flip his hips quickly and avoid angles, and so that he can turn direct angles of contact into indirect ones, and then he can pull through those wraps and reaches as opposed to getting hit. So I think he's a good player. I think he's a very promising – he's a guy with a tremendous amount of upside. You just need the right fit. And while I anticipate it will happen, the way I grade, you know, in the main board that I use, he's 12th.
2: Makes a lot of sense. And you know what else makes a lot of sense, Ryan? Switching to Harry's. I've been telling you guys about Harry's for a long time. I've been a user for a long time. I used to use an electric razor every day because my skin is so sensitive, but the the shave wasn't nearly as good. So I did what 10 million others have done, and I went out and I tried Harry's, and now I use them every day. And you can claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash dynasty, all uppercase. Harry's founders were tired of paying up for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. And so they just kind of took things into their own hand. They knew a great shave doesn't come from gimmicks like vibrating heads and flex balls and all kinds of craziness like that. That they fixed, the, they fixed this problem by combining a simple, clean design with quality, durable blades at a very fair price. Harry's brought a world-class blade factory in Germany that have been making quality blades for over 95 years. They've received over 20,000 five-star reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Harry's replacement cartridges are only $2 each. That's only half the price of Gillette Fusion Pro Shields. All Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. So here's what's going on with Harry's that you got to do. So you get a $13 trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. It's got a weighted, wonderful handle, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Listeners to our show can redeem their trial set at Harrys dot com slash dynasty. So make sure you go to Harrys dot com slash dynasty to redeem your offer and let them know we're the ones that sent you to help support the show. Thanks so much. I can't can't support them anymore. I use them every day.
0: Matt, let's talk some wide receivers. Uh, this this player is maybe maybe one of the most confusing uh evals in in the whole class across the board miles boykin some people love him you're one of those he's your wide receiver too some people don't even have him in their top 30 wide receivers and the combine was obviously a game changer for his for his stock did you like him before the combine or did that make a big difference for you? It,
1: it, it made a big difference if you say moving him up from number five on my wide receiver board to number two. Um, so, you know, I liked him beforehand. The the difference for me was wondering whether he was, whether that speed and acceleration really translated well on the field. And I think that's always the hardest thing for me as an evaluator is to, is that unless it's like so obvious that there's a few plays where you go, Oh yeah, he's, he's going to, you know, he's a track star basically on the field. Um Otherwise it's, you kind of want to look to the combine to see what the 20 shuttle and the three cone drill and the vertical and the broad jump are going to be to help you kind of determine his explosiveness, his acceleration. And, the, and, you know, I had a really great question from a reader this weekend about Boykin and he like literally like went through some highlights and like started earmark bookmarking plays for me and going, what about this? and, How would you judge speed with that? And because when I see this, it looks like the guy was running step for step with them and that that this guy, you know, ran him down from behind and these types of things. And what I was, it was really educational. I kind of almost think I should probably make an article out of it in in the coming week because I think it'll answer some people's questions. But you see, oftentimes with him, um, the situations where he got run down from behind or that it looked like somebody was step for step with him. What you actually are seeing is him being. You know, two to three steps ahead of the defender with a route where the ball is being lofted in the air and it's on time and where it needs to be. But at the same time, you're, you know, the fact that he's one to two steps ahead does make a big difference. I mean, just if you were able to count steps on the, you know, with a stopwatch, you would probably see the difference pretty well if you're one to two steps ahead of somebody. And and so that shows up pretty well for him. And then when he gets run down from behind on some of these plays that people are saying, I'm looking at him going, well, that's because he had to leap, turn back to the ball, and turn downfield, and then re-accelerate. And before he <laughs> re-accelerated, he actually had to um, make a jump cut that was really quick against a defender who was less than a yard away from him directly over top, and he made the guy miss without even being getting touched. And then the defender who was seven, you know, 10 yards behind him after all that was, you know, caught up with him about 10 to 15 yards later. So, th- those types of context help you understand, oh yeah, he is really quick. He is fast. He is, you know, these are things that you know, sometimes the people what they expect to see is that oh, the difference between a, you know, a 4.1120 shuttle and a 4.4820 shuttle must be like 10 yards, you know? No, it's like a few steps, you know, not even that. Um, so so it's one of those deals where Boykin definitely shows enough. He's a terrific route runner, I think, in the way that he can, you know, drop his weight into breaks on hard breaks. He's someone that tracks the ball extremely well. And I think that if he had a top-tier quarterback, like a top one of the top NFL prospects, we would have been hearing a lot more about this guy.
0: That's what I was going to say. for For dynasty owners and... NFL evaluators in general, that's really going to be the question is how much of his poor film struggles, whatever you want to say, how much of that was quarterback related?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think that, you know, for me, it, it, there was a good bit of things where I just felt like I saw the good routes. I saw catching the ball. I saw him being able to get open. Um, I, I didn't see things in his game where I was thinking, he doesn't catch the ball. Well, he doesn't get open. He doesn't have, you know, strength or speed. He doesn't have agility. All those things were there for me. So I, I just kind of look at the other that at everything else and feel like that was a consistent enough tape for me that he scored out really well.
0: Matt, another wide receiver that you have maybe higher than consensus is Preston Williams. And uh, I know we've talked about how off field issues factor into your evaluation and, The short answer is they really don't. You kind of let that uh, bear out however it might. We can't deny Preston Williams' uh, athletic ability and his production. Is that what it is that puts him as your wide receiver seven?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, to me, the athletic ability is just good enough for him to be in the tiers that he needs to be in that that qualify him technically because he's a technically sound player. He's someone that certainly, I think, runs some, has some promise with the route tree. Um, again, he can make some of those, those hard breaks and really use that one drive step to be able to earn position, um, and do it quickly and work back to the quarterback. He's someone that catches the ball very well. He's very fluid at the catch point. He can deal with contact and be able to make plays after contact. He's a very skilled runner after the catch who oftentimes can make multiple men miss in the open field, as well as break through wraps and reaches in a kind of Occasionally bounce off hits as well so I like his physicality his comfort with physicality his route running is his ability to make difficult catches I've kind of joked that if A.J. Green's like the luxury model of a player who's 6'4 to who can do all those things I just mentioned with Preston Williams then Preston Williams is kind of like the the next tier below he's the starter model not the all-pro model and I think that that's that's what works out and yeah I mean when you look at his off field certainly I don't grade for that, you know, but at the same time, looking at what happened there, it's one of those situations that while what he did was wrong, it was not, it's not comparable to it's, it's like in the same category of some of the things that we've seen off field wise, but it's, it's on a lesser degree, even though it's a serious category, it's something that you can wrap up to a little bit more as immaturity needed to be arrested, needed to be charged needed to go through some counseling probably and to go and go through some education program. But it wasn't something that you would look at and say, this is a guy who's high risk for, um, repeated, repeated issues, but we'll see, you know, because again, these guys are young and that just, that was one incident. And if people delve in and find more then that would be a different story.
0: Matt, one player that is a little lower in your ranks, and, and this is actually one of my personal favorites, so this this hurts a little. <laughs> J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, your wide receiver, 15. I just love the, the touchdown upside with him.
1: Yeah, and I can certainly understand why. I mean, listen, man, he's a guy who can box people out. He He's proven to be able to make those types of plays and catch the ball and adjust extremely well, and he's a better route runner than credited when you talk about you know, his ability to drop his weight a little bit and be able to break it back to the ball. So there's a lot of promise there. Well, the good thing is, is that you have to understand that my wide receiver rankings are pretty tightly knit, um, again, once again. So, you know, his score is at a contributor level. He could play right now and make an impact. I had the same thing for Cortland Sutton last year. Even though I had ranked him way outside the box, I just had concerns with his ability to to use the correct techniques to catch the ball. And he had some drop issues last year due to those things that i saw at smu and he was and he had work to do as a route runner and they they talked about that they said like oh yeah he dominated camp we loved him but chris harris was kind of like cornerback was like listen he's got to learn how to run the full route tree and then we saw on tape when he actually got into the game that he, he had some drops that he d- shouldn't have had our sega white side is kind of in a similar fr- um, frame of thought for me even though i don't think he's as good of an athlete as Cortland sutton is but he's a guy that he has slightly better hand, he has better hands than Sutton but he still has similar issues just not as blatant like sometimes you see him he he doesn't have a lot of drops but what he does have is he has a lot of issues where he fights the ball in tight coverage and it's because the ball bounces off his palms he's not being a fingertips first catcher as consistently as he should be but he got better at it as a senior he he was worse at it as a junior and when that happened you saw him be able to, you know, make some adjustments there, but he still fought the ball a little bit, and I want to see him clean that up. I think his route running is good; um, it can get a little bit better, um, but overall, he's a guy that I think if if I if I felt a little bit better, better about his hands, maybe a little bit better about his ability to separate, I think that he might have been in my top, you know, seven to eight players. At that point, but it was that little of a difference between, you know, my bottom half of my top 10 and, you know, him being 15th on my board.
2: Matt, that's really well said. And could you at least throw Ryan a bone and say he'd be a better fantasy wide receiver than NFL wide receiver because of the touchdowns?
1: Yes, I absolutely think that can be the case. We I think that's a that's a bone that's that's merited. (laughs) uh
0: matt last last wide receiver here and i don't know you you might get kicked out of draft twitter for this one Uh, i thought everybody liked this guy andy isabella wide receiver 26 uh, another you you talked about arcega whiteside fighting the ball we see that a little bit with with andy isabella too is that right
1: yeah a little bit and i think it's more due to contact more than anything else or the up potential for contact and it kind of pains me to talk about Andy Isabella this way because he's from my hometown where I first learned about football and grew up um so you know I I moved to Atlanta before I ended up going to where he went to high school um but yeah so it's it's kind of sad that I have to kind of you know talk about this but yeah actually he's he you know his speed is great He's certainly someone that when you watch him in the senior bowl, he's got moves upon moves upon moves, and if those defenders fall for it and are impatient, he gets open. But I think the difference between him being a guy that would be worth the ranking that I think a lot of people are giving him and where I have him is that is that I think that he's not an efficient receiver who handles contact well. I think he gets distracted by contact. And as a result, he ends up losing focus of the ball, doesn't get – in position on time for the ball to arrive or as late to be able to get his hands up and make the play. Um, And when I watched, you know, you see the production with him, but oftentimes in the context of that production, he's getting behind defenders and just kind of getting generating big plays. And that may happen in the NFL, but it's not going to happen as consistently. Um, Not without being physical, not without being able to run efficient routes because You know, one of the things that people, I think, really loved about him when they watched him probably on TV at the Senior Bowl, when it was probably the first time they saw him, and he started to really take off, is I call it the Braxton Miller effect because Braxton Miller had the same kind of love that was coming out at Ohio State, and people were oohing and eyeing over all the moves that he was making and beating people in practice. But you have to understand that you have to be efficient and really be your moves have to be focused on always getting downfield. The defender has to believe that you are working downfield to attack them and get them on their heels and to turn their hips. And he's ten- his moves tend to be more about more lateral and side-to-side side and not moving as much downfield as he needs to, so there's a little more wasted movement and effort there. It looks great on a practice field. It looks great on YouTube tape, um, but the problem— the it's against air, exactly. <laughs> right, right. You know. I mean, I don't want to badmouth Andrew Hawkins because there's a lot of things he did well, and he was a good slot receiver in the NFL in some good years. But I've seen some tape of his where you see all those moves upon moves upon moves, and then there were guys I remember seeing watching tape early on, and I this is one of the worst mistakes I ever made on on my site because I was I I mistook someone for Wes Welker who was like running these routes, and I thought it was Welker that I was taping, and I believe it was Chris Doring, maybe I don't remember. It was it was a Florida receiver who never really like made it to the NFL, but it was all those air their air type of lateral moves. And I think the problem is you look at a guy like him, and you look at a guy like Penny Hart at Georgia State, and Penny Hart was doing it the way you want to see, which is attacking downfield, not phased by coverage at all. And I honestly think that people are mistaking Andy Isabella for Penny Hart, and I think that Penny Hart's the guy they should be focused on, not Andy Isabella, if they're gonna look at players who can really deliver in the slot, face difficult, you know, physical coverage. And that's, that's the issue there.
0: Matt, great stuff. As, as we always do this time of year, we're going to end the show with a very quick rapid fire, one round mock draft and Waldman, we're going to give you the first pick. I don't know. Do you have the first pick in hyperactive too, Matt? I
1: don't think I do. I think I'm actually climbing my way out of the cellar now. So I think I'm, but I'm in the upper, I think I'm still in the upper half. So,
0: all right, you you won't give anything away then.
1: Here, <laughs> number one overall. Well, you know, considering that most leagues are PPR these days, are we are we doing PPR bonus for tight ends?
0: Uh, yeah, we can do that. If we're doing
1: if we're doing PPR bonus for tight ends. Ooh, that's a hard one. Still, then I think I'd still take Akeem Butler, even though I know that he would probably fall to like if I were if I couldn't trade down. I'd still probably just roll with taking a guy like Akeem Butler, even though he's a little bit of a polarizing receiver.
0: Yeah, he would he wouldn't fall far if I'm if I'm in the draft. <laughs> Matt, you've got the second pick. Yeah,
2: Butler's become my number one overall too. But I think Josh Jacobs to me is one a i i i really like him a ton still. I think that's an easy pick. I don't want to have one three in this draft. I think the top two picks are a lot more valuable than the third one.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm ha- I'm happy with the one three uh, because I get my number one guy. My, these rankings, guys. I don't know if you each would agree with it, but my rankings fluctuate every time I look at them. I, I could change my my mind or my evaluation on these players, and and I've done that a lot. Uh, right now, my number one guy is Nikhil Harry, and that's who I will take at three. Waldman, back to you.
1: Okay. Well, looking at that, we're probably if we're doing a you know a PPR dynasty. Or we're we doing PPR with a bonus for tight end. I might, I might. Even though I like Hawkinson on awful lot, you know, I would. But I still have Boykin on the board. I'm gonna have to go with Miles Boykin. I'm sorry, I gotta go Boykin.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, you put your money where your mouth is. Uh, yeah. Yep, yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I'll take AJ Brown. I think it's just a really solid pick, mid first rounder. I think, in just pretty much every dynasty rookie draft. I, I'm really excited to see where he lands.
0: All right. I will go with the, uh, I guess high ceiling, high floor or low floor pick DK Metcalf.
1: There you go. Now this is probably at the point where I'd look at my board and say, you know what? It's between, it's between some of those two tight ends that I have on the board. And I think that if I'm, if I'm looking to make an impact right away, and I think the guy's gonna, gonna may not be the best all around tight end in the class, but he's pretty close. I might go Irv Smith. Um, in in a in this class, because I think he's the closest to Delaney Walker that, that we've seen in a little while.
2: Um, yes, considering the format, I'm going to jump all over Hawkinson then at this point, too. I love him. I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd do a little lower if it wasn't tight, tight end premium, but he's hard to argue with it in this format.
0: All right, I'll go back to the running back
2: position. I'll take my RB1,
0: Miles Sanders.
1: Nice. All right. Well, looking at this, you know, I would say probably with where we're at, since, you know, I kind of liked upside down drafting back in the day. Um, I think I will I think I'll probably go with Debo Samuel since he's still here on the board. I'll I'll take Debo and take my chances. I think that he's a he's a pretty versatile guy who if he ends up in Kansas City and kind of gets that chance to be kind of a what they hope Sammy Watkins could deliver for him, that would be pretty awesome.
2: I'm a big Samuel fan too. Um, I'm going to go Noah Fant pretty much for the exact same reasons I took Hawkinson. I mean, if it's tight end premium, I think he could, landing spot will mean a lot, but uh, he's a heck of an athlete and a heck of a producer, I think, possibly at the NFL level. All right, definitely gets a little
0: shaky here. Maybe we've hit a, a tear break. Uh, I'm going to end things with Marquise Brown. I think he's he's another polarizing player. Some love him, some hate him. Waldman, quick thoughts on Marquise Brown, then we'll wrap it up. I like
1: him. I think that it's gonna just depend on um, you know, how much he can do deliver timing routes and not freelance as much um so that he's on time for the quarterback. But I like what he can do on the inside, even though he's gonna have to get down and look out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, You mentioned uh, with, with Debo Samuel, if he lands in Kansas City, caveat, that's probably true with any of these backs or receivers. If they land in Kansas City. That wouldn't be so bad. Uh, right, right. They're, they're going to immediately immediately move up the board. Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today, as always. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find your work, especially the RSP.
1: Sure, you can get the RSP at mattwaldman.com. Um, You can also check out a video tour of that there, as well as the most recent RSP at Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room on YouTube. That's my YouTube channel, the RSP Film Room. And you can see over 300 videos uh, specializing in what I do on my research path to get to write this publication. And then there's also various articles and free content along the way at mattwaldmanrsp.com. You can find me on Twitter at my name, at Matt Waldman.
0: All right, great stuff again. We'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint.